welcome to Knowing Nature, the podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. My name's Victor, and in this episode, I'm going to be taking another look at some science and environmental news. This time, though, I'll be taking a look at effective news reporting, and it'll be through the lens of reporting on science as a process. In this episode, we'll be using three news articles which cover the same story, which is uh, about researchers isolating uh, a pheromone from locusts. So the three articles are first one from Nature, their news and views section. It's called Catching Plague Locusts with Their Own Scent and was published August 12th of this year of 2020. The second one is from the Daily Mail published on August 13th and it's titled Chemical that causes locusts to gather in swarm clouds could also be used to lure the pests to their death, scientists claim. The third one is from Business Insider, published on August 12, 2020, and it's titled, Scientists have identified the scent that makes some locusts swarm. They could use the pheromone to trap and kill the insects. So, I mentioned that in this episode I'm going to be talking about effective science reporting, And by effective reporting, I mean stories which inform the public not just about the results of a study, but which also shows the reader a bit of how scientific investigations actually work, and then leaves them waiting for the next study. I would contrast this with what I would call potentially counterproductive science reporting. This is reporting which focuses on a study's conclusions or the implications that come out of it. And I say counterproductive because it can actually reinforce misconceptions about the nature of scientific results, which in the long run can undermine public confidence in the scientific endeavor. Focusing on conclusions can give the impression that researchers have somehow uncovered a universal truth. They've revealed something. And then when further evidence is gathered, which maybe makes that first conclusion more complicated or maybe which contradicts it, this perceived truth, you can end up with confusion or sort of denial of the later results or the earlier results, or an overall loss of confidence in scientists and scientific institutions. So let's take a look at what this looks like in the context of these news articles. So first off, effective science reporting should outline the context. So should tell the reader why they should care about the research, and it should also talk a little bit about what previous research has suggested. So, the context of this story. Locusts are insects that are related to grasshoppers, they're a type of grasshopper, and they're most famous for their roles as a biblical plague, you know, eating the crops of Egypt. It's in the news in particular this year because since January, locust swarms have been affecting quite a large region spanning from northwestern India all the way down to Kenya. And this has been a particularly bad year because high rainfall has led to lots of vegetation growth earlier in the year, and that also means really good breeding conditions for the locusts. And these locusts continue to affect the region even now in September of 2020. Locusts usually live mostly solitary lives, actually tending to avoid other locusts. However, they can switch to what's called a gregarious phase. This is a phase where they, rather than preferring to be on their own, they tend to group up with other locusts. And these gatherings can become quite large or become whole swarms. In August, a group of scientists published a paper describing how they isolated a chemical which acts as a pheromone, causing migratory locusts to gather. 
And this brings us to point two. Effective science reporting should describe the different lines of evidence that researchers use to investigate the question. So did they approach it from multiple angles in a series of experiments? Or if they did just one single experiment, or maybe they conducted a survey, what kind of controls do they put in place for their single experiment? So in the study we're talking about here, a group of scientists in the zoology department at the Chinese Academy of Sciences isolated a few different chemicals produced in greater quantities in locusts, which were in this gregarious phase where they were tending to group up. So having isolated a few of these different chemicals, they tested each one of these on captive locusts and managed to find one which was particularly attractive to solitary and gregarious locusts of all ages and sexes. Then they found that uh, when putting locusts together in close quarters, they found that a group of four or five could cause an increase in the production of this chemical signal, this pheromone. So then in field tests, they wanted to see if this pheromone might be useful as a, a control for these locusts. So they found that sticky traps treated with this pheromone caught significantly more locusts than their other traps. So the next step, they investigated how the locusts were actually detecting this pheromone. And what they managed to do is isolate a particular receptor which reacted to this pheromone in the locusts' antennae. So what they did is they genetically engineered locusts which lacked this particular receptor on their antennae and then they found that they were no longer particularly affected by this pheromone. So this brings us to the third point. Effective science reporting should discuss the conclusions. How did the researchers interpret the evidence that they had gathered and what are the potential implications of it? So in this study, the researchers had isolated a particular chemical which seems to have a strong attractive effect on the locusts. They've managed to uh, engineer locusts that can't detect this particular chemical very well, and then they find that the locusts are no longer attracted by this chemical. And so the conclusions are that um, a version of this pheromone, perhaps a much stronger synthetic version, could be used to attract these locusts to traps, or they could perhaps synthesize a chemical which actually blocks the receptor and thus prevent the locust from being able to detect it and begin to gather together. So all of this might be useful in preventing locusts from gathering together and entering that gregarious phase, that swarming phase that makes them so destructive. Let's now look at how these different news sources reported on this particular aspect. Business Insider reported, quote, until now, scientists weren't sure what causes the insects to come together and abandoning their solitary lifestyles. A study published Wednesday in the journal Nature pinpointed the trigger. Now, very similar to this, the Daily Mail reported, quote, Both solitary and gregarious locusts, those that live in groups, are strongly attracted to 4VA, that's the chemical pheromone, regardless of their age and sex. If four or five solitary locusts are housed together, they too begin to produce and emit the pheromone. This then causes swarming behavior by attracting other locusts in the field, eventually building up a fearsome locust cloud." End quote. Now the problem with the reporting from both Business Insider and the Daily Mail is that they focus on the results and implications. They don't give very much space in the article over to the process of 
how the scientists came to these conclusions, and they don't talk very much about the further questions the research raises. Now, the reason this focus on conclusions is problematic is because it suggests that scientists are now sure of what happens, and this can undermine public confidence in science if future research doesn't exactly replicate the findings here. The report on this story in Nature spends a lot more time walking the readers through some of the experiments the researchers did to collect the evidence that they based their conclusions on. And it also spends a lot more time, it highlights the questions that are left unanswered and the directions for future research, including the fact that the researchers are actually uncertain if the pheromone is responsible for starting the grouping up of locusts. Because remember, what the researchers found was that if the locusts get together in groups of four or five, then they start to increase their production of this pheromone, but they don't know what causes the locusts to start grouping up in the very first place. Because remember, ordinarily the locusts kind of have their own little territories and they tend to stay away from each other. So what causes that initial grouping? They're not quite sure yet. The results of the experiments also do not shed much light on how and why this grouping up of locusts leads to the other dramatic changes in appearance and behavior that's associated with the swarming. So they don't know if this pheromone 4VA is responsible for all the other changes in appearance that happen because uh, in these locusts, when they move into their swarming gregarious phase, they become almost a very different creature. And so if future research comes out that finds that actually the situation is much more complicated, then this can undermine the public's trust in the initial research, or it might harm their perception of this first group of scientists, you know, with the public potentially perceiving their work as being faulty in some way, when really it's just the, the first piece of research. You can kind of think of it like reporting on a race and focusing only on you know, how the participants crossed a certain line on the track. The readers might mistakenly think that the race is a sprint with one person crossing the finish line, when science is actually usually more like maybe an infinite relay race with scientists passing evidence on to other scientists who then go on to add to it in their own ways. Except that the analogy quickly breaks down here because science is not really quite a relay race at all because one there isn't really a finish line uh, and also the scientists aren't all moving in one direction and moving down a track scientific evidence can get passed back and forth between different groups who are all disagreeing on how important or how relevant it is or research can be done and then just be left sitting in a journal for decades before some other researcher comes across it and then picks it up and continues it on further now the other problem with focusing on the conclusion in this story is that it can seem like solutions to this quite big problem of these locust swarms is really imminent, that there's an easy solution that we now have. So the Daily Mail says, quote, in outdoor tests on artificial turf, sticky traps baited with 4VA, again that's the pheromone, snared dozens of locusts released from the lab. The flat panels to which an adhesive substance was applied also caught locusts when deployed in a wetland reserve near Tianjin in eastern China, end quote. And in the article from Business Insider, they say, quote, but the discovery of 4VA could facilitate a more surgical approach to fighting swarms. The study authors suggest deploying a synthetic version of the scent to lure locusts into traps where they can be killed. 
They tried this on a small scale baiting sticky traps with 4VA. They trapped dozens of locusts. End quote. So, this brings us to point four, and something that I've already touched on a little bit. Effective science reporting should highlight areas of uncertainty and directions for future research. So it should talk a bit about what are the weaknesses in their approach, what questions are left unanswered or unaccounted for by the controls, and does the evidence produce further relevant questions. Both of these articles from Business Insider and the Daily Mail uh, they do give the readers some sense of how the researchers know that the pheromone traps can be effective. They describe a bit of the experiment, but again, the focus is on the fact that the result was positive. They focused on the result. Neither mention the further analysis that the researchers did, um, which said that while the traps worked, they were more effective than you know just a plain glue trap, for instance. Um, they weren't particularly efficient. And this is where the Nature News piece, uh, again, stands out. They do mention that a synthetic version of this pheromone could be more effective or more efficient at luring in these locusts. Now, this is almost mentioned in the Business Insider piece where they say the study authors suggest deploying a synthetic version to lure the locusts. However, the way that they said that could give the impression that this is quite a straightforward thing or maybe that a synthetic version kind of already exists when actually it's just a it's a direction for future research and this again can undermine trust in scientists by potentially giving the impression that scientists have a solution but they're withholding it for some reason so let's review effective science supporting should number one outline the context and this is to get the readers interested and inform them of why they should care but it should also talk a little bit about the research context that it happens in. What does evidence from other research ha have to say about the issue? How are these researchers building on pre-existing work? Two, effective science reporting should describe the lines of evidence that are used. This gives the readers insight into how the researchers actually work. And it also shows the readers the different problems that the researchers considered and then overcame, or it shows them the different directions that they approached the questions from. And this is quite important because it also gives the readers a sense of what the researchers' assumptions were. So it kind of gives the reader, again, a bit more of that context so that the readers themselves can assess whether they think the researchers did a thorough enough job. And so it allows the readers to start to come to their own kind of conclusion of how much weight they should put behind this one particular piece of work. Three, effective science reporting should discuss the conclusions. What did the researchers find? How did they interpret the results of their experiments, their, their lines of evidence? And again, this gives an opportunity for readers to get a better sense of the thinking that the researchers were doing, and so the readers can come to their own conclusions of, again, how sound is the logic that the researchers used, how might the thinking of this particular group of researchers differ from the thinking of uh, another group. And four, effective science reporting should highlight areas of uncertainty and directions for future research. This gives readers a sense of how confident the researchers are in the results, uh, lets them know what questions are still to be answered. And this has the effect of showing that readers are open 
to changing their views based on other information, which is a really key part of being a scientist. It's also an important part of being perceived to be a credible source. Research in science communication has really highlighted that um, a really important factor in credibility is uh, a perception that the source is fair. And that includes a sense that the source is willing to listen to others or has at least tried to address the concerns that others have had. As we discussed in an earlier episode, honesty about uncertainty in results can also be really important for those who perceive the nature of science to be a process of collecting evidence to either support or disprove one particular paradigm or way of seeing the world over another. And so in the news reporting, discussing the uncertainty that's left can really support the credibility of the research. So the take-home from all this is that science reporting should really put more weight on what the scientists did and how they came to their conclusions, not what conclusions did they come to. And that's because with the internet and social media, information and science news comes to us from all different angles. And so it's really important for all of us to have strong science news literacy skills so that we can understand the science reporting that's coming at us and interpret it and decide how much weight we should really put on the different reports that we might come across in our daily lives. So if you've read a news article that doesn't do these things, rather than just taking it at face value, perhaps treat it as just a starting point. Find one that does give you these details, uh, this context, and read that one too. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to this quite short episode. For links to the news articles discussed here and other related resources, check out our website for the full show notes at knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. If you've got any questions or comments or topics you'd like us to cover, send us an email at knowingnaturepodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at kn underscore podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.